This podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I'm ready to party! Good morning, Vietnam! Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Magic myth on the wall. Who is the fairest one of all? Yeah. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. It's a weird recording on Saturday. Um, I believe it's called being organised. True. 2020 resolution. Be more organised. Yes. You know what my 2020 resolution is? What? Stop going effing (laughs) grey. Pulled out like eight grey hairs. This it's morning. done. It, 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 it's the year that it happens. It. My nana is not grey. <laughs> I will not be grey. It might be thanks to L'Oreal, but I will not be going grey. <laughs> well, hello to his film, her movie. Hi. We are a movie podcast for your movie years. For your movie years. Yeah, your movie years. Why not? Oh, movie ears. Movie oh, okay. Ears. Okay. Um, So we take a subject or theme, both pick a film on it, discuss it, and that's about it. Yes. We didn't record last week, mostly because of, well, when you're off over Christmas, because as we are, because our jobs don't really need us to be on over Christmas, well, we're quite lucky in that regard. As long as all my social media is done for Christmas, I'm done. Yeah, but the other bad thing about it is if you, you forget days yeah you do you come you forget exactly what day it is now i've been off for like what 13 days 12 days 12 days and i, I only know it's saturday because we actually have to do something today yes so therefore i'm i start back at work on monday which is horrific i started back at work on thursday you it did. was like possibly the worst thing in the world but so therefore I, we just have to apologize that we completely forgot when we were recording over the christmas period <laughs> But we're back. We're back for 2020. I'm going to blame day drinking. Yes. <laughs> day drink is great. We woke up on Christmas morning, had Bloody Mary. Yeah. Vodka <laughs> to start the day. Alcoholism so is only acceptable at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, as we say, it's 2020. It's a, it's a new year. And we're going to start with a new show. Well, not a new show. Not a new show, but a new episode. A new episode. Which is, what is this week's episode theme? The Roaring Twenties. Well, I was going to go for like, oh my God, it's the Twenties. Why am I going Roaring Twenties? Okay. Well, I do the episode title, so I'll just choose mine. That's pretty standard. <laughs> yeah. Just get ignored. Fine. <laughs> so, we both Hashtag chose films. Roaring Twenties. <laughs> <laughs> but we both chose films that took place in, well, we are in the Twenties, but in the 1920s. Well, we hashtag, say that, hashtag, <laughs> hashtag caveat, I picked a film that I thought was in the 20s, but actually was in 1930, but let's just think. But yeah, literally, the first the five seconds of the film, it comes up saying 1930, and I'm like, Jordan, do you want to pick another film? No. No. So therefore, it was only me who stuck to this week's brief. Yes. And you had extra time off. 
to work out your brief, and you didn't even do that. No, but you I chose just to, to watch this film. Didn't I you? kind of really did. <laughs> so we watched. Uh, well, my choice is Brian De Palma's The Untouchables from yes. 1987. Mine was the 2013 Baz Luhrmann spectacular, The Great Gatsby. Yes, his adaptation of the F. Scott Fitzgerald yes. novel. Now, what do you... I mean, I don't think we actually do have any other housekeeping. I mean, we will have a show coming out, which we, we, we've recorded, which is like a, a 2019 in review. Yeah. A little sort of just a, a bonus episode, which you can look forward to, which will be dropping this week sometime. But I think we might as well just get into the show. Yes, we can do that. So what do you want to start with? Let's start with the film that went wrong. Okay. Let's start with yours. You said you wanted to know how to get Capone. Do you really want to get him? You see what I'm saying? What are you prepared to do? Everything within the law. And then what are you prepared to do? If you open the ball on these people, Mr. Nash, you must be prepared to go all the way. Because they won't give up the fight until one of you is dead. I want to get Capone. I don't know how to get him. You want to get Capone? Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. And that's how you get Capone. So yeah, 1987's The Untouchables, directed by Brian De Palma, uh-huh. written by David Mamet. Mm-hmm. This tells the story of Elliot Ness and his group of Untouchables in the Treasury Department who tries to take down Al Capone. And his grip on Chicago regarding prohibition and other criminal activities. I think that is quite a good little synopsis there. Um, You've got Kevin Costner as Elliot Ness. You've got Sean Connery as Malone, who is his um, second in command. You've got Robert De Niro as Al Capone. And yeah, to be honest, I mean, I know I really, really do enjoy this movie, but what did you think about it? No, I did. Halfway through the film, I realised I have seen this film before. Right. But you were like, oh, it's a really good film. It's really good. It's all right. It's all right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Sean Connery has got the worst accent I've ever heard in my entire life. I have no idea what accent he was doing. Um, Part of it was Irish. Part of it was Scottish. Part of it was... um, American. See, I think that the, the first scene on the bridge... You can definitely see him trying to do something, but failing, failing. But I think at the after that, I think Brian Fam just said, "Just, just, just speak your own accent." Yeah. Because then he just, because then he's just Sean Connery. Yeah, then he's just Sean Connery. But that accent at the, on the bridge, oh my god, I couldn't take him seriously. You're like, he won an Oscar for this. I'm like, how? That accent alone on that first shot was so bad. I'm so pleased that they just went just use, just be Sean Connery. <laughs> Just do it. Just, just it's just so much easier because that then did make it better. Um, I made I, I made a few notes. Yeah, uh, yeah. It has the slowest horse chase I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> two old men fighting in the rain. His wife was pregnant, like Ness's wife. So yeah. he pops out a son. It's like she was not pregnant in the last scene. If she was, damn, she was hiding that baby well. And if. She went into hiding. Like, how long was she in hiding for? 
So yeah, the d- it doesn't tell you. It's not very good with like the progression of time. Yeah. Um. Um. Also, why did they just hire? Is it Star Troopers? Yeah, from uh, Star Wars. Stormtroopers. Stormtroopers. Why Star Troopers? Star Troopers sounds prettier. Why did they just hire Stormtroopers from Star Wars? Because nobody gets shot in the head. They miss 90% of their shots when they're shooting the Untouchables. Literally, dudes going with the, with the machine gun across, across a whole what, what, line what, 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 of What's them. he doing? <laughs> He's going to... <laughs> As she mimics a, a, a machine gun. Right, they could literally be standing in line. He shoots them in a line, not a scratch on them. Okay, the the, the bad guys were so bad; they were worse than me at shooting. But guns. people die. Yeah, up close, like they literally need to be <clears throat> as close as we are right now to be able to hit them. They are so bad at shooting, and honestly, there were so many bad quip quips on on this. Like, yeah, one liners. Oh, so bad. But this is the Chicago way. Cheesy music when they first do the raid. It's like, yeah, we're amazing. We did the raid. We're going to do some bad quips and have some cheesy, like, uplifting music. See, now you're hurting my feelings. (laughs) Because one of the great things about this movie is Ennio Morricone's score. Okay, the rest of it was fine. That first bootlegger bit was literally just like, we're America, watch us flex. It was really bad, that one. But I think it's very much commenting on that as well. It's because everything sort of has a theme. Like, for example, I mean, my first note here is like, it's got one of the great credit sequences. And it's just the shadow of seeing the untouchables. Just, I mean, just the word, the untouchables and Ennio Morricone's sort of pulsating score. And it's like, it, it just works so well. Um, and it, does. it is just phenomenal. And yeah, why do I like The Untouchables so much? Because I think he's way too stylized, mm-hmm. but that's what works for it. Um, Brian De Palma knows how to shoot movies, and he comes from a background of very very niche thriller horror movies like he, he i mean have you ever heard of the, the term new hollywood yes so the, the time i came up to it's capola it's spielberg it's Scorsese, it's the palmer and when you when you look at him against those other sort of three who made the classical i mean they all moved in different ways but mm-hmm. he was again the outsider because he went and made his own sort of movies that he wanted to make like we say he made Carrie, but he made Carrie not really because he wanted to, it was because that would then fund his independent movies. I like the first no, no, Carrie. No, I love Carrie. I think it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. But the fact is... It's one of the only horror movies I can watch. And But, but he wanted to make films like Blowout and Dress to Kill, <clears throat> which is this giallo um, rip-off of Vertigo, which it, it, it mashes all these different genres together. And yeah, he just, he knows how to shoot movies. And when you've got like this David Mamet screenplay, you've got Morricone at the score, you've got Blumen 
Giorgio Armani to do all the suits. Okay, the suits are beautiful. Okay. It, it, Nobody's slagging off the suits because they were dressed wonderfully. But, so it's it's all heightened and if it, it harkens back to those sort of hard boiled detective movie um, films. Mm-hmm. But it is actually a remake of like a fifties I think fifties T V show. Oh. Um and when you've got this era of prohibition and everybody and it's it's so blunt, but it like there's no sort of grey area. The bad guys are the bad guys. And the good guys are the good guys. And even though the good guys do sometimes bad stuff, stuff it's always for um, getting the right sort of the judgment. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like Malone is very much a fight fire with fire unless you're going to lose. And he <laughs> instills that in Elliot Ness of saying, yeah. like, okay, it's like the entire speech. is like if you, somebody puts one of your guys in the hospital, put his guy in the morgue. Yeah. It's like the only way to beat criminals is to beat them at their own game is to beat them at their own game and I think that it really does work um, and it, it is it's De Palma at his height and it's for example it's, it's like De Niro not at his height but it's De Niro at the time where he was really playing with himself because playing with himself that, that sounded really bad yeah but like when, when you do get the Capone on screen there's sort of these mini films in a way because it's just him monologuing mm-hmm. it's just playing to De Niro's strengths and like Kevin Costner like Kevin Costner I think gets a bad rap over time because he did Waterworld he did but what was a good movie he made it lost so much money but I remember watching it when I was little and enjoying it and then I watched it again and I was like you're older and I was like mm, not as much and yet <laughs> not as much but <laughs> Yeah, it's. I think his sort of all American charisma and his like sort of his, his sort of good looks. He, he he's very chiseled. He's very sort of old fashioned. Yeah. In his way, but I think that hides a good performance because I just believe he's. I mean, he's really really good as Elliot Ness. Um, what else have I got here? I mean, yeah, it's to be honest. You talk about Sean Connery. In his bad accent, he does have a line in this movie which should have and did win him the Oscar. And he's when he's chasing after a, a criminal and he stops and he says, All he says is, Enough of this running shit. <laughs> well, that that's pretty much my whole you know motto for life, but um. It was, it was just, it was, there's a lot of quips. Yeah. And, but it, it, it was a good it, film. You think it is a good film, but again, it's it's, it's 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 individual moments as well. For example, like you've got Wallace's death uh, with yeah. his little guy, but but what he does well is he sets it up because obviously that's tragic, but he gets his moment of glory on that bridge in that mm-hmm. raid of when Gas Andy Gassi gets shot and he sort of starts taking everybody out, and then at the end of it, takes a swig and um, takes a swig of drink, and then you've got like. John Connery's death, which at the beginning of it, I mean, it's shot like a horror movie. You've got the POV of the camera, you have the POV yeah, of, the, of the criminal, and, and that's what De Palma does so well. He, he knows how to use a camera. Mm-hmm. So, you and some of the untouchables can be a little bit bland in because those flourishes is what De Palma De Palma's known for. Yeah. And I mean, in other films, he loves a split screen, so he'll literally split the screen in two. And have two things happen at once, but it's sort of coming to the same moment, so you can right, see 
the tension build. It's very sort of Hitchcockian. Mm-hmm. I mean, De Palma is kind of known as a, a Hitchcock ripoff, but I think he does enough to himself to make it his own sort of thing in, in, yeah. in, in, in its own right. But yeah, that shot, that one shot of when he comes in the window, see him come and goes into the window, and then when you get the final reveal of Sean Connery with a Sean off shotgun, shotgun saying, what, you you brought a knife to a gunfight? And then obviously the, how he dies in the end. But And again, I think it's a great sequence, but it's a great sequence when you know the history of it. You've got this finale, like big final sequence, even though it's not the end of the mm-hmm. movie in the train station. Now that is pretty much lifted from a Eisenstein movie from like 1926 called Battleship Potemkin. Okay. So he just recreates that scene, but it's the way he builds it is he sets everything, where characters are going to be, who, who is somebody going to be a, a, a villain, are they not? Because you've got like the guy checking his watch and he's thinking there, but he meets his girlfriend. You've got that tension building, the tension building. And then this sequence totally, which much take in, in real time, what, five seconds? But it's like 90 seconds of screen time. And it's the slow motion is just glorious, and yet nobody shoots violence like De Palma. Like it's so over the top. Like when somebody gets hit by a shotgun, they literally get thrown back seventy feet. Yeah, that was quite funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I do. I really, really enjoy this movie. Yes, it's over the top, and it can be done. But um, it's just yeah, it's just an old fashioned movie shot in a very modern way, and I kind of like that. Okay. Do you want to move on to yours? You like the 1980s, don't you? Of course you do. We all do. But have you ever wondered why that decade was the way it was? Have you ever wished there was somewhere you could go to get past the usual day-glow sentimentality? To try and understand 1980s pop culture in a more social, political and historical context? Because if so, it sounds to me like you're ready to go beyond the aesthetics, beyond the nostalgia. Welcome to Beyond the Neon. Beyond the Neon is the podcast that dares to pull over the Testarossa, eject the Wham cassette, and take off the Wayfarers. If you're looking for retro reviews of Back to the Future, The Goonies, or John Hughes movies, you You will will not not find that here. If you're looking for top 10 lists of A-Team episodes, Nintendo games, or Stranger Things references, you will will not not find find that that here. If you're looking for long, boring introductions, Squarespace ads, or Patreon begging, you you will will not not find find that that here. here. Because Beyond the Neon, we do things a little differently. In each documentary-style episode, I look at one area of 1980s popular culture and break it right down. And each episode features academic insight, guest contributions and interviews, as well as clips plumbed from the depths of the 1980s cultural void. Well, YouTube, mainly YouTube. To help illustrate the wonderful, perplexing, terrifying, joyous and utterly thrilling world of 1980s pop culture. Beyond the Neon might not be as regular as other 1980s podcasts, but that's because Beyond the Neon isn't like other 1980s podcasts. Subscribe to the show today and check out all past episodes by visiting beyondtheneon.co.uk Beyond 
Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, and welcome to Film Bastards, a podcast where three friends, two of them married and two of them podcasting life partners, chat everything from new releases, trailers, news, and an eclectic mix of other film goodies over many, many, many tangents. You can find them by searching your podcast provider or check them out on Twitter and Instagram by searching Film Bastards. You never know, you might like it. And if you don't, well, we don't really give a f- well, this uh, this Mr. Gatsby you spoke of, he's my neighbor. Don't talk. I want to hear what happens. Something happening? Why, I thought everybody knew. I don't. Tom's got some woman in New York. Got some woman? She might have the decency not to telephone at dinner time. Don't you think? Oh. I love seeing you at my table, Nikki. You remind me of a rose. An absolute rose, doesn't it? So, after well, dinner... I'm not even faintly like Nick a rose. wanted to go on to town. Right, Nick? To the Yale Club. Nikki, stay. I have to work early. Nonsense. There's so much to talk about. It's just for a drink or two. None of us could ignore that fifth guest's shrill metallic urgency. Nikki. What? It's just... Well, you see, I think everything's terrible anyhow. Really? Yes. I've been everywhere and seen everything and done everything. I've had a very bad time, Nikki. I'm pretty cynical about everything. Okay, so this is the 2013 uh, Baz Luhrmann film... The Great Gatsby. It's based on the F. Scott Fitzgerald's 1925 novel um, of the same name. And it has Leonardo DiCaprio, Tony Maguire, Carrie Mulligan, Isla Fisher. Loads of famous people in it. Really, really good. Uh, Main two characters are um, Leonardo DiCaprio as Jay Gatsby and Tony Maguire as his... the narrator, I kind of want to say, like the main... He's Nick Carraway. Nick Carraway, the main person. So, um, really, it's it's basically uh, Nick Carraway moves to um, a uh, part of New York. He's going to become a stockbroker. Yep. He ends up meeting the mysterious Jay Gatsby at one of Gatsby's huge parties yep. um, and finds out that... Um, Jay Gatsby has actually basically done everything to um, get back in touch with his long lost love, who is um, Isla, not Isla Fisher, Carrie Morgan. Carrie Morgan, who is uh, Nick's cousin. Yes, and it's a very tumultuous love affair. Cause she's married. He's single. Her husband's having an affair with somebody. Um. And it's it's an absolutely beautifully shot film. Baz Luhrmann does big films. Like when I think of his, the, when I think of his top three films, I think this. I think um, uh, Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet and Moulin Rouge. Yeah, and they're big, big films. Uh, they just, I don't know. I find it really hard to sort of describe it. 
Um, I kind of. I, it's. I think it's Baz Luhrmann makes Baz Luhrmann movies, and that sounds really reductive because I've just literally said Brian De Palma makes Brian De Palma movies. But Baz Luhrmann has a style now. It. Even though I, I, I do like Moulin Rouge, and it's. I mean, it's Moulin Rouge is frantic and it's it's crazy. Yes. We, we talked about because we've we've spoken about Moulin Rouge on this podcast before, yes. and that opening like fifteen minutes is. It's my favourites. Yeah, it's it, it's it, it's an experience. Now, well, my issue with with this movie is, I mean, although I do like moments of it, is I mean, and again, you get a bit persnickety because like Great Gatsby is quite possibly my favourite book. Yeah. Um. So therefore, you get a lot. I have a lot of sort of investment in it. Mm-hmm. Now. When you take what is probably seen as the great American novel mm-hmm. and put so much of your stamp on it that it doesn't really feel like that anymore, it can be a little bit... Um, it just takes you out of the actual movie. Okay. It's, for example, it's the... Well, I remember seeing it in the cinema. It was in 3D. Oh. It's a CGI and it's the Jay Z soundtrack, and I'm like, it's a little bit too much. Okay, yeah. And it's sort of like, okay, what, what this film I think has a bit of a confusion is, I don't think it knows. Does it want to be a blockbuster, mm-hmm. or does it want to be a character study of these people? And I think it gets locked between the two. Okay. Um, because you've got all these grand sets and these grand parties which look lovely but I don't feel like lovely is the right which look spectacular yes there we are um, which looks spectacular but generally are it's all surface yeah and it's like it's it's just sort of like yeah it looks good but there's nothing really going on in the edge behind it and it's yeah it's driven by a very, very miscast Toby Maguire as well. And I just think being Leo's best mate yeah. got him that role. And it's just a bit of a wet blanket. Yeah, I can get that. Um, for me, um, the reason I picked this film was because we were discussing films for the twen- yeah, regarding I mean, we, the 1920s. The thing is, we watched this on New Year's Eve because we were garnered in the 20s. Yes. The 2020s. And this is how we watched it. Me with a can of wine, some yeah. chocolate, and Leonardo DiCaprio. What more could you want? No. Really? Um, but for, for me, I picked this film to symbolise the 20s because of the extravagance that yeah. Baz Lohan puts into it. Um, there is... Now, um, a very romanticized, yeah, 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 uh, feeling about the 20s, and now it's a case of, um, to me, Baslam has taken that romantic feeling that we have and put it on the screen. When you think of the 20s, you see like the little screen rolls of the flapper girls dancing, yeah, and everything, yeah. but everything's in black and white, then you can't see it, but then you see like the vintage costumes, which are just sequins and gold and the headdresses and everything else. And you hear about before the crash of Wall Street, the absolute, the money. It's the opulence. Yes. And I feel like he does that very well in this film. 
it is very opulent. Like you look at Gatsby's um, mansion, parties yeah, and yeah. his man- mansion, it's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. Like he has um, fountains going off and fireworks and giant champagne bottles filled with glitter and dancing and everything. And then you go to like Harry Mulligan's and it's the old school uh, rich. Yeah. The, the the quiet rich, the elegance and just the beauty of that. The properness of the it. The properness. It's so very calm compared to Gatsby's. But that, and, that, and that's what, I mean, the, the part of the, the actual story of the Great Gatsby and one of the themes running through it is that idea of old money versus new yes. money, but also of old money. It's all about the American dream as it was sold. It's like anybody can make money, so therefore Jay Gatsby, is he living the American dream? Now, now it's a bastardized version of that. Yes. Um, and are they just as legitimate as, as each other when, you, when you're looking at Joel, Edgerton, Joel Edgerton's character mm-hmm. as Tommy and, and Gatsby and, and the way they go to head-to-head? But when you're talking about Baz Luhrmann, I think is. This is yes, it's called the great. It's called the Great Gatsby, but it should really be called Baz Luhrmann's The Great Gatsby instead yes. of F. Scott, F. Scott Fitzgerald's. Fitzgerald's, yes, because, I, I get that. Um, because you take it out, but again, you don't. I don't really want to get picky because that's what generally. If you feel something for a book, you're always going to be starting trying to pick apart the film because it's not the book. Yes. Whereas again, you don't want to get into that, but generally, it's like, what is the Great Gatsby? Is Great Gatsby the story? But is Great Gatsby, um. Fitzgerald's prose and the way he writes and the way mm-hmm. whatever and I think that would be but the whole book I think that'd be very difficult to actually put on yeah 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 because part of it like you said is the way how Fitzgerald writes it's very him yeah and but there's there's a difference between how somebody would write a book and then how somebody would write a script yeah it's very difficult to try and Mar the, mar the two but, together. And, and I completely agree with that. And I think, especially when you write the script, again, when you, when you are sort of Baz Luhrmann, because he wants to make these extravagant movies, because that, that's his style. Mm-hmm. So therefore, I think when you see him, he was having fun at the parties yes. and things like that, where when he's trying to do the character part, part it's sort of like when, who we were talking about. Um, I can't remember, but it's like not boring, but it's sort of like you can see that he just wants to get back to that craziness, um, yeah, because that's how he can make it look incredible. And again, it's just the fact that the Great Caspi was in three D at the time. It's like you're taking this classic story and slapping a whole different dimension on it. Yes. Um, but the thing is, there there are parts of it which I do enjoy. DiCaprio is fantastic He's in it. Really good. Um, so good. Some of the design is good, uh, but the way it's yeah, it's it, it has it has the, the 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 normal themes that Gatsby. Obviously, you got the American Dream. You've got the class system of America because obviously you've got the the area between um, East and West Egg and Manhattan, yes. um, and obviously I mean that East and West Egg is it's a fictional it's a fictional part of New York City that Gatsby Gatsby wrote, but yeah, it's. It shows you it, and again, it's blunt and it's not subtle with it, but it doesn't really need to be because it's it's being made for a mass audience. Exactly. I kind of hope that... Um, I kind of hope 
that basically people would watch this. One, I'd hope they'd watch it all the way through. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean this in the, the greatest respect to everybody that we know, people go, oh, I want a Gatsby party. It'll yeah. be amazing. It'll be wonderful. I'm like, it is. It'll be really good. And then you say, oh, do you, do you like the film? Do you like the book? And I know the last one that we went to, the person in question said, yes, I've watched the film. I know that it's not a happy ending. And we're like, good, that's fine. It's then when you get the people who only watch the the parties, I think this will be amazing. And then you go, have you watched the end of the film? Or have you read the book? And they go, no, no, it's amazing. It's beautiful. And I'm like, that, that's not that's not the whole but, thing. But it, that's the thing it. is, like, I mean, you, this is the fact that the film starts with Nick Carraway in a sanitarium. Now, that, that, that's not in the book. No, it's not. So therefore, but is in a sanitarium getting done for alcohol abuse? Yes. Which is what F. Scott Fitzgerald did in the end. Mm-hmm. He had to get um, a cure for um, alcoholism. Now, that is the the bad part of the 20s of because Fitzgerald was part of that scene. He was part of the, the 20s elite. Yes. Of, of being in Paris in the 20s after the war and with Hermes Hemingway and everything like that. And mm-hmm. that is so romanticised. But they were all just drunks. Yes, they were very, very intelligent drunks. And very rich. And very rich. But they were still drunks and they they enjoyed their time and their peak when they had it. But damn, did they suffer after it. Oh, God, yeah. So therefore, you you, you get the glamorised version of it. But even though I kind of don't like the idea of the, the, the Toby Maguire writing up Great Gatsby, blah, blah, blah. But it does a good, a good sense of showing the... The aftermath. The aftermath. Yes. Um, yeah, that, 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 that's it. I just... I think as long as people can understand the underlying message of the film... Yeah, yeah. I think that is good because we are now heading into a completely different era. And I think as long as people have it in mind that everything that you do does have a, like, not a reaction. A, a consequence. A, a consequence. Whether that be immediate consequence or a one down the line, I think it's a good film to sort of look at for that reason. You have all this fun, you have all this amazingness and you live this kind of lifestyle, but a few years later, Toby White's literally like a broken man. Yeah. So, is it a case of, was it all worth it? And he says it was, part of it was all worth for meeting Jay Gatsby, but that is the only part that was worth it. Everything else that happened, he says, was horrific and just wasn't worth the booze. Yes. Do you have anything else you want to add? No. No? No. Cool. So, I think that um, is probably it for another week. That is us done. We're back. Maybe a little bit rusty. Probably. Uh, but we'll get back into the swing of it for 2020. So we will see you next week. Um, I hope you're there. And yeah, look forward to that 2019 in review episode, which will hopefully be um, posted sometime midweek. Yes. So bye-bye from me.